Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. Welcome to the Art and Business of Music podcast hosted by me, Jimmy Davis, a.k.a. Tapes, where we dig deep into just what it means to be a creative and a professional in the industry of music. On episode four, I am joined by someone considered UK rap royalty. As part of legendary UK hip-hop group Moorish Delta 7, Malik pioneered the dark, street-orientated style made big by the likes of Giggs and K-Coke and is considered somewhat of a godfather of UK hip-hop, particularly in his home city of Birmingham. The group played shows alongside the likes of DMX, Gangstar, Mob Deep, Tim Westwood, Immortal Technique and Della Soul to name just a few. And Malik went on to tour with Mark Ronson after appearing on the official remix of huge global hit Valerie, which of course featured the late Amy Winehouse. Malik MD7, how you doing sir? I'm good, I'm good brother. Really, really great to have you on man. Thanks so much for coming down. So if we just dive straight into it and yeah, man, like what was your first kind of experience with music in life? And um, are there any particular moments you can recall a real something inside of you sparking for that, that, that passion of creativity? Um, luckily, I was grown in a family. Um, I was raised in my grandmother's house. So um, I had access to uh, um, all the music in the house. So... I had an uncle that was kind of into um, like pop music, not commercial pop music, but he was into like Gold West, Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel and all that. And then the rest of my family mostly was into reggae music, lovers rock. I had an uncle that was into um, blues music a lot. So um, I always had the access to music. I was always had access to all music growing up in my household, so that was a help. And from early, I felt it. Like I remember, actually, the moment. I can't remember that what age I was, but I remember coming downstairs, my uncle coming in and shouting all the all the kids downstairs, and the Sugar Hill. You know, like the squirrely pattern on the Sugar Hill Gang record. Yes. I remember yeah, him showing us delight. that. Yeah, and rappers did like I remember him showing us that. So it was a thing where records would come in the house and it's like all the kids are called called down and we'll play it. And I had records I, I had my own kind of playlist of music that it was like from different family members that I liked the record and I made my own tapes like growing up in the eighties. Wow. So it sounds like you had like a, a real rich environment musically. Yeah. And also I, I've actually got a post on my Instagram that kind of embodies that. It's me at about seven years old and my I got two uncles, one playing guitar and one playing bass, and that's in the attic of my grand grandma's house. No way. Yeah. It sounds like there was almost a ritual in the family, so like a new record would come out, everyone would get excited about it and you'd all gather. Yeah, yeah. When it when it when, it when it's certain when it's certain records, that was a thing, especially certain records. So and it'd be certain of that for certain people. So that whole loof of Ryan Dross and the whole R and B, like my aunties and like the lovers rock, they would gravitate to more of that. But I remember periods of time when things came out, being too young to actually take part and be a part of it, but I remember it because I grew up in the house with my uncles and if something was if something was big, like I remember it growing up as when I was seven or eight years old, that was the biggest album around. You got know I me mean? in the community. I remember that. Okay. It's so interesting because I wouldn't imagine that there are many rappers that would come on a podcast and say that they were essentially influenced by Phil Collins, some of the pop music you were listening yeah. to growing I w- I up. I wouldn't and... say actually, actually, yes, because the music, the hip hop I listen to now, like the Travis Scott and the things like that, the instrumentation and some of the ideas, especially vocally and melody wise, is very close to the 80s music that I was hearing and grew, grew up on. And I actually feel that um, hip-hop is trying to recreate that type of thing in its own way. Yeah, for sure. And 
it springs to mind artists like Cassie's Dead. Yeah. Here in the UK as well. Exactly. Coming with that 80s synth vibe. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. And big up, big up Cassie's Dead as well. Definitely. Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. outstanding artist. Um, and, and, and even if we go back to the 90s, people like DMX, uh, Rough Riders, there's a lot of people sampling Phil Collins' yeah, tracks yeah, yeah, at that yeah, time, yeah, weren't yeah, there? Yeah, so yeah. he obviously influenced a lot of people globally. Yeah. But actually, that um, Hear It In The Air Tonight, that was like, I'm sure that's like the end of Paid and Fool, the movie. That, f- that song was a part of, just a part of the culture. It wasn't a pop song. It was like, it was Phil Collins weren't even white when that came out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That was just in the culture. You get what I'm saying? It was just that he wasn't he wasn't an Englishman. You you understand what I'm saying? That was just a part of the culture that song was. Yeah, 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 yeah. It it, it related to so many scenarios in people's lives. I'm that just that line. I can yeah, feel yeah. it calling in the air tonight, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It can be taken in many like, different ways. From, from you know what I mean, people in love to like eighties drug dealers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so was there a particular moment then growing up where you thought music's for me and I wanna try and get into it creatively and, and try it as an art form? Um I started actually recording at 13 in my f- upstairs in the attic again. There was a thing called a four track. And I think I got I got a Bob Marley Ghost Town song record. The B-side was a dub. No, actually, it's not a dub. The first like eight bars, there's no singing over it. So I just looped that on the play recording and that was my first thing I rapped over to rapped over. So from then, I just knew I could I wanted to create something though. I I grew up in a house and but I've watched Scarface as a kid when it came out as a kid. Whenever it came on video, I I was into loads of Kung Fu movies. Um different things my uncles was in. I could what I could add access to everything in the house except the porn collection. <laughs> <laughs> but I was had a rich I only realized recently how rich culturally the things I've noticed cuz people my age sometimes they don't know about it. And then um I can talk to older people and they actually I can relate to them on a certain level cuz I was into something that my uncles and whatnot was into. Yeah, it sounds like you had rich pickings from different mediums, and yeah. also that y- your family sounds like they had good taste as yeah, well. Yeah, because you know I mean? actually, my my granddad, who was the strict person in the house, he died in like 1984, 85. So there was only my grandma, and my mom had me at like 13. So we had brothers and sisters. So if you think about it, that was a teenage run house. Okay. You get yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. For, 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 for a good while. Okay. You were, you were ruling the roost. Yeah, at some so point, yeah. Every, like, yeah. I remember everything. I even remember my parent, my mom and my uncles getting ready, putting their coats on to go out to the cinema to see, I think, Eddie Murphy. I think it must have been Delirious, the second one. But I remember them going out to, to, to see and being a kid and... And they saying, yeah, we're going to see Eddie Murphy. Me knowing who Eddie Murphy was and just wishing I was old, old enough to go. But here's the thing, though. There was no restrictions. I watched Scarface as a kid. I don't remember it. I only remember the chainsaw in the shower scene. That's all I remember. But And him getting shot at the end. But I watched that in real time when it came on. I remember going to the, D, the shop, the video shop at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Like, there was no such thing as 18. I was buying whatever I wanted from when I was, like, 10 years old at the shop. My uncles would say, yeah, pick three films, get two Kung Fu films, get an action film and a, and a horror, <laughs> and I'll be able to pick. Do you feel like watching those, you know, let's say adult films in inverted yeah, yeah, commas, yeah. do you feel like they had, like, a, an influence on you, an impact on I f- you? I think so. I think yeah. so. There's some very, some positive Something negative. Okay. Glamorizing a particular lifestyle, some of them maybe, or yeah, introducing but, you to certain things. Yeah, but I realized when I go back, I've listened, like, I remember 
I was like a good, good kid, innocent kid. You know what I mean? There were, apart from like one of my uncles, there weren't even too much crime, criminals in my family or people getting caught up in the law. You know what I mean? Okay. So, you know what I mean? Things were like that in that point. But when I got to a certain age, but when society started changing, because I didn't think the crackheads I was hearing rappers talk about when I was a kid and the guns and the vibe, I didn't think I'll be able to see that in my, you know what I mean, real life. Mm. You, you've mentioned your uncles a couple of times already. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you had some positive male role oh, models definitely. in your I definitely yeah. I had an uncle that was on, there was a radio station called PCRL, and that was the main radio station in Birmingham for the community. He was on there from like 16 years old. I remember him having cassette tapes with his face and artwork on. I remember that most of my life. So he always, he, you know what I mean? He always was active doing stuff. I had an uncle that was at, he'd done acting for a while. You know what I mean? But and but they all make music at different times, so. So there was creative talent running through the family, man. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't, it wasn't shunned, it wasn't shunned on. It, you know what I mean? It, it was encouraged, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Even if it wasn't so much totally encouraged, but it wasn't like, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so just to go back then, you were in the attic, yeah. rapping over the four-bar loop of the Bob Marley tune, yeah. the instrumental section at the beginning. Yeah. So it sounds like you were being really creative, man, from a young age. Do you know what I mean? Not many people would be doing that at, the, you know, at that time. Yeah, that's true. And well, I wasn't shown it by anybody. And um, but I think one of the main things when it comes to me being into hip hop, I was into hip hop from. I've always been into hip hop before I knew even what hip hop was. Because even music that is sampled by hip hop, I've heard those parts and I've like just wished there was a whole song made out of that moment. And now we've got hip hop, you know what I mean? So, but my uncle went to Sweden and he came back with a six hour, two six hour v v VHS tapes. And they had MTV raps, they've taped it from the beginning before Ed Lover and Dr. Dre when it was Fab Five Freddy. Even it started with a Puerto Rican, one Puerto Rican girl. I think she was actually the first ever host. Okay. Before Fab Five Freddy for a few weeks. So a family member taped who had satellite TV because that's what you needed. We, our family was poor. We never had no, I didn't even, we had five channels, and four channels until. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even have Sky and all that. So they must have taped every Yo! TV rap from like 1988 to like 1990 or something. There was like two years of Yo! TV raps, wow. videos on these six hour tapes. And that was given to me as a present at like nine, 10 years old. Wow, so did you just rinse those VHSs and just watch them back to back? And back to, like, every single day. When I got to school, yeah, listen, when I got to school and I'm telling kids are talking about Star Wars, Flights of the Navigator, I never knew no child, I never knew nothing about no child programs. I never watched any child films. I knew Scarface, I knew every Eddie Murphy movie, Every Jackie Chan movie, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sylvester Stallone, like Cobra, those times. But I didn't know what kids like, what kids were listening to, what kids were watching. When you started writing, were you drawing on all of that? Nah, at first or... I was just, um, I think I was just, probably for metaphors, but okay. mostly I was just, um, I was just writing about, um, I think I saw somebody get robbed once and I think I rapped about that. And I just rapped about like being a kid, just normal kid stuff, nothing too crazy. Was there any particular rapper that you were trying to imitate? Do you remember? Or were you very much being yourself? My cousin who's like five years older than me, he was the closest family member, like the closest in age. And he had a new Walkman for his birthday. And his birthday's like 10 big days before mine. So I got that Walkman. These times the headphones was all taped <laughs> up and all that. And he gave me a first tape and it had LL Cool J's album, Badder and Defa, and uh, a Run DMC album. I think I was about seven years old or something like that. 
So I rinsed wow. that back, back, but I knew all the words to it after a while. And LL Cool J, I'm Bad, that was like my first. I've liked songs before and before that, but that was my first real like, this, yeah, this is, there's no turning back now. And I've heard Eminem, Juicy J, then I think another rapper say that particular song, I'm Bad by LL Cool J, made them want to start rapping. Was LL Cool J having an impact on your rapping style around that time as well? Off the back of you um, hearing that song? Not really. No? Not really. Were, um, were you rapping with an American accent to be? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, standard. <laughs> it's just like, the, this is probably still like that. Probably just 1991 and then like just, okay. Okay. There, was, there was nothing else. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Not even London passing or that was, was uh, yeah. Just fast forwarding slightly then. Yeah. You, you formed Moorish in 1995, is that right? Well, it was Cypher who formed the crew called Lyric Born Click. That's what it started as. And this was like, we had a few members. We had a few members. Um, my cousin, my older cousin, that same older cousin who... Um, who gave you the Walkman. Yeah, and he was a... Because he was older and he got a lot of music... And he was in a group called Criminal Damage that was at one time like before any before anything that before people even released the records, it was before those times. Okay. So all the people from that era, they don't there's nothing to mark them, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. There's nothing there's nothing to, to say that they ex they existed. Cause it was before all of that. Right. But um he so he was about so Different people he meet who brought to the house. I would say um, him and DJ Kingston, a few people would bring records and actually store the records at my grandma's house that they buy. So I could, every single rap record that was on vinyl, I had access to. Wow. Yeah. Just, so there was pretty much a record shop at your, your grandma's house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. From reg reggae blues... A few other other things, but mostly reggae, blues, and hip hop. At that time as well, it was the eighties, nineties. So we was learning a lot about our culture. A lot of things like there wasn't this access now. Like, like basically those few years, most people I even know, most black people I know, they did, they found out about people like Malcolm X then oh, through wow. Public Enemy and the movie and things like that, and through that generation, or it wouldn't have. Like, it wasn't even in, like, there was no way to even hear the name spoken. So things like that. So if you think about that, about somebody like Malcolm X, then you have to think what it was like for, about other things. So we found out about um, about a group called the Moors from North Africa, like Morocco, Mauritania, and they came to Spain and more th that region of Europe. And they introduced lots of different things that they had in their culture to Spain and helped the Renaissance come. So we felt, oh, we want to do the same kind of thing in the UK. So Mauritius, Mor the tribe. So we're saying, yeah, we're a tribe of guys from Birmingham, like the way Brummies are. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to like bring more culture and bring to the UK. And Delta means fertile land. So we want to grow something. Yeah. It's so good to hear like a deeper meaning to a, to an artist <laughs> or a group's name nowadays. Because, you know, nowadays, you, even if I think a So Solid crew, yeah, it yeah. seems so kind of surface level. Yeah, Do you yeah. get what I mean? And those kind of... So it's, it's really great that there was actually some intelligent thinking happening behind like naming the group. You know? oh, Definitely. Well, okay, it's the lightning man. From the moors with a thunderball in the form of a writing hand To make you wanna settle On the ends it's Jack the man If they don't chat to man's on a level The art of survival quote the one and only Talent screams the things they don't leave me lonely You're one brick homie and all your six things, they sound the same You're one trick pony Look at the faces next to me They call sign what I say My songs are just accessories Accessories to your car Accessory to your heart Your ears When you heard the album We went to New York in 1999 I remember seeing the Twin Towers Yeah 
Wow. Yeah, I'm, I went to New York first in 1999. That's the first time I went. And I was like, um, that was really the turning point. Even at, even around that time, I was kind of in the streets and I was not focused on, I wasn't really focused on anything. And I believe that if I carried on the way I was going, I would have, I would have made some kind of mistake that would have put me in a position that would have put me down a different, different road. Luckily, I haven't been to jail. And I believe that if I went to jail in those kind of years, it would have made it like I'm not scared to go to jail again. And it would have probably made me put myself into certain situations. But instead, I, I actually wanted to really pursue music around that time. And that is the main, the main thing for me. I was still doing MD7, but at that time, that's really... I'm gonna really commit to this, and this is what I see myself as. You know what I mean? That okay. was a that was a, a big change, and even just coming back, coming back from America the first time, that was the thing that really ignited our passions because we went to New York and we saw how hip hop works in real time. You know what I mean? We saw it how it works in real time. We saw actually we linked up with we got beats from. Agent 2-5, and he's produced, we linked him up and he had a producer called Ayatollah that was producing a lot of the stuff for Capone and Noriega. Okay. So they linked us up, they got a beat from them. We linked up, we met AZ and we had a couple of meetings with him. We used to go like Sony, different record labels and things like that and just talk to people and just build up a relationship. Um, I've still got friends to this day that I've met when my first trip to to New York, I went, yeah, big up Nez from the A-Likes. That's somebody I still talk to this day. We still see each other, whether I'm in States, whether we're in Europe or over here. So yeah, but that was me, us coming over after seeing hip hop in real time. Even seeing people say lines from hip hop songs. Well, if actually before the, so we'll hear certain like slangs and we'll come back and a few months later, we'll hear those slangs just dotted in different songs. <laughs> so we just really saw how things, we saw it in real time and tried to bring that over here. And we saw how they export their culture themselves. So if they're from a certain part of New York or a certain part of America that dresses a certain way and talks a little bit, they'll emphasize that in their, in their, in their music to a certain degree to, you know what I mean? So it was like, when we came back, we knew we had to do that. That's so sick that you went to like, the birthplace, the motherland of yeah. hip hop, to make contacts, to network, have meetings, just put yourself out there in yeah. the marketplace. And um, it, it, it would be a lot easier now. Like, not, there's no internet. Like, people didn't know much about the UK. Like, the barrier was a lot more. Like, I go to America now, and it's totally different people. People know who certain people are. People follow certain people on the, on the internet, so they're, they're seeing... Would, would, would you say as well, to a degree, that the tables have turned slightly, that actually they're being influenced by yeah, us yeah. now, to a certain level? It's funny, isn't it, man? And they're, more, they're very willing to work with UK people, mm. just in general, business, music, or anything. How how did you go about pulling together those meetings and meeting people? Well, this when, was like, more. You this was, was no cipher. And, this okay. was cipher. Okay. Really, like cipher was like, come, we're gonna go here. Cipher was the person when the records come. Cipher was going to places, dropping them off, going all around. Like, cause at that time it was still the mom and pop stores where you drop them off at the record shop. He was doing all of that. You go know to I mean? Like we were there. I was there. But I was a rapper that time. I wasn't. That's just being truthful. Cypher was the brains behind that part of it. And the person who was really good at making the contacts and socializing. I wasn't. I, I am. I'm that person now, 100%. I can get things, you know what I mean? I can get things to move. But back then, Cypher had that. And it was. And even Cypher's stature is like six foot something. 
people would meet. The good thing, the way we looked, we could kind of fit in anywhere, so we can go to different places. And until we open our mouth, they don't know we're British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a great dynamic between the three of you, man. Yeah. There was definitely something that struck me about you when I first came across you, saw you, heard you. What was it like? You know, aside from MSI Asylum and Juice Aleem, yeah, he was yeah, knocking yeah, around yeah, Juice well, was about, he? yeah. Was there anything else? Was there much else going on in Birmingham? Nah, was there was much things of a scene going. Nah, there was things going out. There was pen talk. There were different rappers and things like that. Okay. There was a scene here. Was there an outlet for what you were doing? Not really, but it was like when Cipher was releasing records. Cipher was one of the only guys releasing records. I remember MSI. I remember MSI like had two managers and everything like that. Like it took a lot just to do a little back then. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. get what I mean. Like I said, a lot of people that was here haven't got... There's not certain things to actually stamp their, them being here so much. That's only where Maurice was lucky. That's why sometimes it looks like Maurice Delta are the start of Birmingham when it comes to rap. Because of that, not, like MSI probably done one video okay. before us. And still... Um, no disrespect, but their video was in a, a impactful video. It's like they're still trying something, trying something new. So um, so and the this, the it was in a set pattern, and for us, because we went to New York and seen hip hop in motion, we just said we're gonna come back and apply that. Okay, and that was the bit the the difference. We didn't we pretend, kind of pretended, ignored everything that was around. Cause this messes up me in the UK. When I make music and think of the rest of the UK, I have to make music in a certain way. You know what I mean? For more UK years. When I don't, I'm making just worldwide hip hop. So, cause we blocked out everything and we just wanted hip hop, worldwide hip hop. I think that's that helped us. You know what I mean? And we we, we were embraced. Cause we were three guys coming out of Brom. And there was about 20 men every time we roll. We're all just fresh off the street, like ready to like anything could really kind of kick off. So that whole like era was around us as well. And like a couple of men got punched up at, at, outside shows and all that kind of stuff. So the reputation was there. <laughs> so did you come back from New York, right? And were you thinking... How do we package this Birmingham thing that we've got going on yeah, in a yeah. global way? Or were you more thinking we, we perhaps don't need to focus on the Birmingham thing so much? Well, we we well yeah we did. We was like, and that just got bigger. Just just different phrases we will say, and it just grew into a style till it's just a normal a normal way of life now. And and just coming back to you know to what you just said there about reputations. Did you did you think that was important at that time? To kind of have that, to oh, be taken seriously, to not to be you feared, know, so if you, but nah, but you have like here's the thing to as be well. Respected when you're coming from certain cities as well and certain communities, like it does come with it does come with like, and you'll be it does come with a perception, and sometimes you can get tested in that kind of way. So, like when you're coming, like rappers from South Central, rappers from Brooklyn or rappers from South London or rappers from certain parts of Birmingham, it's gonna be that same kind of way where people know the activities around the circumstances where they're from. Do you, I mean, I'm gonna just throw this question in there now. It usually it tends to have come in a bit like further into the interview, but yeah. do you think that's been lost in hip hop? Are there a bunch of people running around now who, uh, you know, it's all a front? Yeah, to a certain degree, but it's not, but in a certain degree, no. Okay. Because, <laughs> like, I wish it was all a fantasy. You okay. know what I mean? Because okay. there's a lot of a lot of people's younger brothers, a lot of anything, a lot of especially with the the drill stuff going into more into that. There's a lot mm. of like. People who's very active, but and putting it into the music without it just being just what it is. You know what I mean? When I came up, when I was a certain age, the street robbery 
was like the main thing. Like you wake up in the morning at a certain age. I wake up in the morning and it might sound bad now. I'm well older. I'm a lot older, so I don't, I don't mind saying it. But I used to rob people until I go to sleep. Yeah, basically, yeah. So when I rapped and and spoke about certain things, I'll have that kind of a part of that energy and aggression. I'll use that in my music, and a lot of the time, artists take certain things that they're doing or certain environments they're around, or even if it's for a short amount of times, they'll take that adrenaline and make it fuel fuel their music. I'd, I think there is a, a, a fine line between though, the art and the realism now. So you just have to know what you listen to. When I was younger, I would have took it on like, this is real. When I got to a certain age, I started to realize the fantasy from the reality. But just coming back to the point you said there about the kind of things you might have been getting up to at yeah. that age. Um, you know, I think it's an important thing to touch on. Would you say that that was in part or in a big way due to just the environment you were growing up in? Were you a product of your environment, would you say? Now, um, well, to a certain extent, because I didn't, um, I didn't grow up, grow up like that. Like, it's not like I learned it, learned it off anybody in my family. Um, I was a happy-go-lucky kid, really, if you really think about it. But... Um, just the way that things kind of turned. Um, and there was like a big crime wave. And uh, there's a probably even part of the, um, what's the, if you can't beat them, join them. There's probably a part of that involved. Part of even me being scared of being a victim. So I'd rather be a perpetrator. Um, there's a lot of different things. Even me being popular. I was a popular person, so I, I needed to I needed to protect myself as well, and make I needed to make sure people couldn't mess with me when I was a from a younger age before the music. So I think there's a lot of different factors that that playing playing to part. Sounds like a multifaceted kind of yeah yeah um, yeah thing. quite complex yeah in a lot of ways. And here's the thing: I never nobody told me about the dangers. Mm. Yeah. Like there's part, there's things I've been groomed for by people on road that was older than me. You know what I mean? Even just being around certain men and starting to go to parties and certain things with certain certain people who uh, we could call gangsters, but they'll take man out, give you know what I mean? We're sorted for the night. We don't have to put hands in our pocket. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So even showing us that kind of thing, and plus. Our family not having lots of not having lots of money, you know what I mean. I remember not having money at a certain age, and there was only you know what I mean. I want to touch on the Power and the Glory album, yeah. which for me was like a seminal album, and it was kind of critically acclaimed in this country. Yeah, you know what I mean? And I feel like it underrated as well in a lot of ways. Uh, and it sort of paved the way for the, that wave of rappers that came after yeah. K Coke, Geeks. Yeah. I mean, you guys it, it, were. It definitely set a, set a tone of. Cause I remember when I when I first come out, people was like, certain things don't happen in this country because there's pockets of the country that never had a voice. So when we came out, and um, we had like audio footage of like the Hansworth riots and all that at the start of our song like really like drove it home when you know what I mean and we had like a whole squad with us so it 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 just it came over as that and what was the creative process like of of you know sort um, of building just, that album and I remember I think um, we had Art of Survival and Silent Screams first and at that at that point, I was like really gaining confidence. I had confidence as a rapper, but I really gained confidence after that. Was it was it com completed quite quickly? Was it stretched out over a period of time? The creation process, yeah, it was a period of time because yeah. it was back in the day. It was just, everything was long. Yeah, it wasn't even recorded. It wasn't even done on computer. It was done on um, uh, AID. On ADAT. Yeah, ADAT. ADAT. Yeah, yes, yeah, where yeah. you you have to chop in on real time with, and it's. ADATs looked like a v v That's VHS. It was like a VHS tape. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. it was recorded on ADAT. Wow. We didn't start using a computer until after that. Wow. 
because that was a digital way of recording, wasn't it? But it was yeah. a really drawn out process. Yes. Where we, there was like, what people are seeing now, they'll see WAVs on the computer, they'll see, they can cut, they can click, like, we wasn't doing that. Do, do you think in some ways it, it's kind of t it's taken for granted a lot now because of the way the technology's moved on, because of how easily accessible it is? Uh, back in the day, before before my time, I remember people had to go into the stu book studio to make beats. <laughs> <laughs> now that's ludicrous now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And would would that take like a couple of days as well? To make a track, or maybe a day, a whole day in the yeah, studio. Yeah, it could be a whole day. Well, even if we lay it down quick, it still has to be mixed. And remember, you can't, um, when you mix it, you have to just record it off like that. You can't just change something later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to, except if something was turned down a little low, you have to press play and record it off in real time all again. All wow. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not not much room for mistakes or yeah, yeah. re-editing at yeah. later dates and everything. But I think, actually, hot, most of it was done ADA and then we moved to digital after a while. Yeah. And were you excited about the album when you finished it? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, we got something here. I was excited, definitely. Um, it's hard to even think back, though, like that, if I was excited. I don't get excited about things a lot, so... It just it was. I was excited for people to hear certain bars, and I believe at that point, after that album, there was a there was a period of time, it's a small window of time where I was the hottest MC in the country. It wasn't a massive window, but there was a window of time when that was the case. I I don't big up myself or gloat, <laughs> but I would say that was the case. I, 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 there was a window of time where that yeah, was the yeah, case. Yeah. I'm co-signing that, definitely. Yeah. And I, what I remember quite vividly from the early 2000s is that you were mentioned as, like, rappers, rappers. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. A lot of artists' favourite rapper yeah. around that time. Definitely. Uh, I, think, I feel like you had a lot of love within the industry. Yeah, definitely. With my, my, my peers, definitely showed love. I believe that um, the only problem was, at that time... Uh, I, we'd spend a lot of time in London, but because we didn't move there, it um, yeah, it hindered things. Cause some people complain about what's ha the lack of things happening in Birmingham now. Imagine twenty years ago. <laughs> you get what I mean? Yeah, that word infrastructure comes up a lot yes. at the meetings, the kind of gatherings that we yes. go to. And um, yeah, I can safely say that in agreement with you there, there was absolutely yeah. zero yeah. before. Things have moved on in a big way. Even our shows, even most of our shows, when I look at them, unless there was like, things that we supported on and things like that, a lot of the biggest things we've we put together ourselves. Yeah, I remember a lot of the tours that you went on. Yeah. You pulled together yourselves, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, and then... When you were touring with yeah. Westwood and... Yeah, and people came, so it was like... But it was a good time. It was like how the down south artists do it, where they have to do things themselves. But it worked. It worked out for us at the time. My grandmother came here in the fifties. I'm an equal of her grandkids. They say because 'cause I'm the son of a migrant, I'll turn out council house them violent. Free speech, I will never stay silent. Greenpeace, the way I speak and the environment. Guilty of the bad that I did to you More guilty of the good that I didn't do I'll give you my views and plenty more Brother broadcasting chaos news 24 I'm a journalist and artist at the same time So all the titles to my tracks are the headlines But they like and perceive us as monsters So I don't subscribe to what they sponsored All I got left is my pride and my conscience Yet still I feel divided and conquered I sit and wonder about my dead brothers I'm never gonna erase their numbers In fact, I still send them texts Your family's doing good, we miss you Hope you get this message I got a slight problem To solve it is my day and my night job I pray but I ain't believing in your sky god So I started a religion on your iPod So, so when you had the album uh, And you started 
putting certain things out, were you were you getting much of a response? Were you know were the labels kind of picking up on it, or was it too much for them at that time? Oh yes, was yes, it, we had we had um we had labels that we were speaking to. Um, yeah, yeah, a couple of situations that was going on, and remember Big Brothers. So like a label that was with them was contacting us. Mobile when they first wanted to start as label once, but um, yeah, certain things didn't work out. Certain people wasn't talking the right. Some people was just like on some, we want pop groups or like. Think about it now. We've only in the last three years, three four years, had like albums of UK artists that they want to make. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Through, through, through mainstream. Yeah, yeah So yeah. imagine it then. Absolutely, man. If you think of someone, I don't know, even, even the younger rappers like Tinchy Strider or yeah, look Tiny at those Temper. Day. No, those Tinchy those no. Strider days, yeah, where you had to make, like... Remember the program Euro Trash? Yeah, I used to love that program man, on a Friday night. Wait, like, I'm not saying they had to make the outro music, but they had to make some corny stuff. And none of those songs that came out around then can be even played now. It's like an embarrassment now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Wiley as well. Wiley went there as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I love Wiley, but yo, you can't chat too much to... to, to, to um, Stormzy about that Ed Sheeran thing when you was fully like like wearing my Rolex and yeah, all that fully kind of stuff. Technoed, like out, fully technoed out. Definitely, and I, I also feel like for that style of rap, if you like, to be embraced by the country, it took someone to take a big risk. Yeah, it, it was like XL with gigs, basically. Weren't yeah, it? yeah, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Gigs is a, the gigs is a definite. Um, when it comes to the gigs, there's a BG. And um, like before and after gigs, when it comes to UK like rap, there is yeah, like yeah. a like a BC and you know what I mean, yeah, like a before. yeah, it, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Was Cool J a big influence on you? You said he was a little bit, didn't you? At the yeah, yeah, bit of the show. yeah, a bit at the start. Um, it was probably the first rapper that took my notice, solo rapper. Then it went on to. Ice Cube was my favorite rapper for when MWA first came out. Then it went to, I think, somebody else in the middle, then Nas. I think it was Big Daddy Kane, and then Rakim, then Nas, and Big L. It's like, yeah, the the ball's been passed around a lot. It, can can you pinpoint one that's probably had the most influence on you, um, or is it just I would a, a say, variety? I would say actually early Nas. Yeah, yeah. What was it about it? Just the the the, the, the lyrical content. The... The, just how things was, um, just the approach, really, and how things are spoken about of um, of that kind of person watching something happen and telling you about it. So speaking of legends in the game. You, you guys around that time of power and glory and, and after went on to support some absolute hip-hop greats, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. DMX, um, Immortal Technique, yeah. Mob Deep. I mean, the list went on yeah. and on when I was reading through. Uh, are there any any standout gigs, shows, um, any anecdotal stories of artists that you could you could tell us? Uh, just, um, more... Usually everything was cool. I remember the DMX show. DMX at that time, it was just like, I don't know what was on his mind. All he wanted to do is go in the whole, all he wanted to do is play um, remote control cars in the hotel, like landings. <laughs> That's all he wanted to do. <laughs> Nothing else. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And then I think he finished his performance. And when he finished, he done his praise, started crying and ran off the stage. Like... Wow. It was intense like that, but you know what I mean? That's, that's X. Um, there's a couple of people, and we, and we met early, like, um, I was on tour with Jay-Z at the time when he done the Glastonbury. So we didn't do the Glastonbury show, but we done the wireless, because was, we was working with Mark Ronson at the time. 
So we had the Valerie remix that um, Baby J produced. And then he brought us on tour. He put us on the actual single and everything like that. So it was the B-side of the single. So I was touring it. We'd done two tours with them. But Wale, <clears throat> the rapper Wale, he was Mark Ronson's artist at the time before we went to MMG with Rick oh, Ross damn. and them. Yeah. Wow. And actually, we didn't like it. I didn't like... Actually, we wanted... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot there's a microphone to me. But now nah, we didn't really like his vibe. We didn't really... Did you want to slap him off? Is that yeah, what you was about to yeah. say? <laughs> well, it's like, as soon as man touches him, it's we have to tour. But um, Kanye came on the show for the Manchester show. And Memphis Bleak... Memphis Bleak was coolest guy coolest guy like like he's coming up to us to go oh so what a man's doing like he was in Scotland at the time and he was over for the two Scotland shows I think there was a Manchester show then there was Edinburgh and what's the other Glasgow one? yeah Edinburgh and Glasgow so um, Memphis Bleak yeah he was cool all the way through even after the shows even when he left to go back, he had loads of these tickets and loads of passes that people had gave him and invited him for things to. And he actually went, found me and my homie and said, yo, I'm going. Yo, I want you to yo, take all of these stuff and got his friends' passes and all that. And it's like, yo, yeah, you take that, man. Have a good night and all. Like, he was a good brother. Love that. Yeah, man. So, so you were knocking around with these guys, man? Yeah, oh, man. Wow. What was that like? That must have been pretty it's, surreal. Or was it just yeah, normal it was, to you? It, it was a bit surreal. It wasn't that normal to me because I wouldn't say I was young, but I know there's just certain things that I didn't learn till later. You know, you know what I'm saying? Just as a person, how to communicate and things like that. There was like, I still had like certain um, learnt behaviours. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm. Small town learnt behaviors because I see still see Brom as a small town relative to the relative to the world, and even just like um, behaviors that will probably mess up my chances. Okay, you know what I mean. So, so would you say then, off the back of that, that it's important for any young artist coming through when you get put in a position like that to be able to communicate properly, to present yourself professionally, yeah. handle yourself, yeah, them kind of things. You think it's important to focus on that sort of stuff? Yeah, and even have people around. You need somebody around that can be like to tell you those little things. So, you know what I mean? Just those little things. All right. So, even if you're an artist, that I don't know. Your artist that smokes marijuana or that, yeah. You're gonna need that guy to be like, cool, all right then. Yo, put it in a put it in a vacuum wrapped container at least. Sometimes I'll just little or just put it in my gems. bag or this and that. Nah, don't smoke yet till you just somebody to even say those little things. And that, that's just talking about smoking. This could be talk. I could be talking about a vast amount of other things. You get what I'm saying? It could be even them having beef with other people, wanting to get annoyed with other people, or worse of drugs, or people being late. And sometimes you need that person that's going to um, just give you that a little, you know what I mean? Now I can be that person for myself, but I, I wasn't... I didn't have that person for, for, for me. And be that person for other people as well. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the work that you're doing with young people. And yeah, definitely. That is, that is my main thing. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. That's, for me, that's one thing that's been lost in modern society, that the, the village mentality where yeah. you would go to the elder and ask their advice, their blessing, their guidance, whatever it might be, you know. And for so many of us that grew up without a positive male role yeah. model in our lives, those things are really important, aren't they? Now, it was at this point of the interview that something happened that would teach me a very valuable lesson as a podcaster. The batteries ran out in my fancy wireless mic. Now, it took a little bit of time until I realised that had happened. And when I did, we started sharing a mic. But until then, I was essentially speaking into a dead microphone. So I've re-recorded the questions I asked Malik. Let's talk a little bit about the Birmingham music scene. 
Do you think it's in a healthy place? And who are the artists that you're currently feeling? JK's really stood up and um, he really represents Birmingham well. I listen to his music. Um, songs like Knocked Over On, he just sounds so Birmingham to me. Everything he's saying on there. Um, you've got Mist. Mist is probably going to come out back around again and drop some new music. For for the for the hits and whatnot, we need people like that. We've got Lotto Boys. We need that kind of. We need all the different different artists, but we need more um, hip hop and more lyrical artists in there in the mix. We need because it can only work if you've got Mist doing big tunes, big videos. You got JK and Daps and the mapping them, like keeping grime going, but make they're kind of making it a slightly more not commercial, but um, slightly more palatable. Yeah. Then you've got the underground grime scene. Then you've got the, even the baseline. Like it all has to work concurrently for us to really work for all the producers for all the studios to get used, for the video directors to get used. We have to be concurrent from baseline to the hip hop, to the drill, to the to the all over. That's how it needs to be because that's what I see in, or what I see in certain American cities where they've got different things that run concurrent. They've got the, whatever is really popular, then they've got, um, whatever subgenres or whatever other genres running at the same time, and it gives more life to the whole scene because venues are venues are getting used more, different studios are getting used more. I remember in 2010 to, to 2013, I was very active, and you can go to different studios, and there could be Triller walking out, there could be different artists with different doing actual different genres, but interacting and you know what I mean we're using studios next to each other using the same producer sometimes using the same video director using the same premises so I've, I believe we had a tighter scene at that time because of it okay cool yeah so do you feel like in order for the scene to thrive then all you know it takes artists people behind the scenes the business people the professionals all kind of working together as one kind of unit a hundred percent, but most of all, I think, I think for artists and talent, I think Birmingham's are fine. There's not nothing wrong with Birmingham at all. There's not enough managers. I remember what, I remember Stay Fresh and what they were doing. Stay Fresh got there because um, Despa and Jamie Dread. That was a key element, probably more than any individual artist. MSI was one of the first groups to break out of Birmingham because they had, I can't remember their names, but they had um, managers. Maurice Delta done a lot because not it wasn't just about rapping ability. Sci-Fi was going around the country, driving around the country, dropping off records. And we as a group traveled to different places and linked people. So I think... Um, it's about people who are uh, being very active. Like, if we never had Cypher, we would have to need somebody like that for Maurice Delta to be. Yeah, and you've totally seen that, haven't you, with JK's kind of rise, that with Despa being there as, as, a, as an integral part of it. I, I feel like he's kind of made it happen in a big way. Um, what I've found within the Birmingham scene a lot is that this feeling that, Perhaps artists are still waiting for some kind of, you know, saviour to come along, sign them, give them an advance, all that kind of thing. And I feel like it's going to take not just the infrastructure to be built and the people behind the scenes to be working closely together, but also for the artists to come on that journey with everyone else that's trying to build it. Do you get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I look at it as like the long game journey. So, Seth... Like, if I could go back in time, or, I, no, just in general, I think that, see these artists that just said to themselves, 
no matter how they've sounded, uh, their music sounded, and I've said, all right, then I'm making this. So if they've called a project um, Task Force, like, for instance, and they've got a weird sound, people are not too sure. And they said, yeah, I'm going to do six of these. Listen, by that sixth one, some, yo, this, this sound could be the most poppiest thing. And you could be like a pioneer legend for, for doing it. And I think that's what we need to do more. A lot of the artists that have done the long, long game, it's worked out better for them. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I think that's the only way you have a career of longevity, isn't it? By staying true to yourself, being authentic. And I find with a lot of young artists coming through nowadays, I don't hear that much originality. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Cause I think... Um, a lot of the time, there's, it's more about fitting in, having a beat that fits into a certain sound. Um, people are kind of, in, in the UK as well, people are scared to be themselves more than a lot of more places. People are scared more to stand out than more other places. Like, there's even certain subjects and certain things that people have been scared to talk about. You get what I mean? So um, it just shows that there is a bit of fear to be themselves. We need to get over that. We definitely need to get over that. If there's any final bits of wisdom you could impart on the young people, and in fact, I'd just love to really quickly touch on the work that you're doing with young people because we spoke about it before, and I think it's a really amazingly positive thing, man. So, yeah, just tell us a little bit about that. Well, at the moment, I mean, currently working with Connect Futures and St. Giles Trust. And we're going into different schools all up and down the country. Like, I'm talking a different school in a different city, um, different schools in different cities every week. And we're really giving them examples about extremism, knife crime, county lines, everything like that. Everything that we've kind of been through. Um, I've been stabbed a couple of times, so I'll talk about that. But it ain't, it ain't just about that, but it's about just ways that they won't be in the same position and make some of the same mistakes that we did and make giving them real life examples. And a lot of the people we work with are really from, really from that, not just from that, but they've been part of the justice system. They could have done 10 plus years in jail and they could be out not even 18 months and they could be with us talking to young people. So I think it's really important that people get, young people get the real information from authentic people and if there was one or two bits of wisdom you could impart on any young aspiring rappers MCs artists coming through what would it be man I would say study the craft a bit like study the craft of history of of me of um, whatever genre you're doing like if you was a if you're a rapper and you're like all right then so if you was a rapper and you're talking be a street stuff or whatever you have you have to you have to really go and listen to certain albums that really define that, and that's the only way you can make. That's just this is just an example, but that's the only way you can be that one of your generation. Gigs, I remember he said his favorite rapper, first favorite rapper was Ice Cube in N.W.A. days, because Ice Cube was the hardest rapper at that time. Yeah, now. Um, Giggs was into him, he's been into DMX, he's been into all these kind of hard rappers. So by listening to them and seeing the impact they had, then he can recreate recreated that impact over here for himself. You know what I mean? So you can actually look at certain kind of artists and um, look at look at their past or just look at the history of the music. If I wanted to do rock music, there's no way I ain't heard um, certain Beatles albums, certain, um, I don't know, Eric Clapton, um, Jimi Hendrix. There's certain albums that every person who plays a rock guitar has listened to, just without fail. There needs to be the same kind of respect when it comes to hip-hop. So, and just music in general. So if you do that, um, you'll have a lot of more knowledge and musical knowledge over other people. Thanks once again to my guest Malik for a fantastic interview. Do go and follow him on all social media platforms at Malik, M-A-L-I-K-M-D-7. 
do follow us on your favorite podcast platform to make sure that you subscribe to all forthcoming shows. We have some fantastic guests in the pipeline. And also follow us on every social media platform at the AABOM podcast. See you next time. Can't compare to me. Why? You spit bars, but they're air to me. Why? I choose my words very carefully. So listen up. I'm giving you something you can't read about. Brum talk, I I'll take you on that scenic route. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.